Howdy. That was good singing, wasn't it? I was going to sing that song tonight. I'm glad I put it off. That's a lie. I wasn't going to sing that song. I'm like Brother Fred Vault. I have a beautiful voice that is tearing up getting it out. Once it gets out, it ain't worth listening to. It's a joy to be back over here. It's here about a year ago, I reckon. Said those ladies might have sung last time. I believe they did. That's all right, because I'm going to preach the same message I did last year. No, I'm not either, amen. I'm not. But uh, I... uh, I know this, that uh, I'll be 65 next month. Now, some of y'all a lot older than that, and that's okay. And some of you are never going to get there. But I'm glad that I'm almost there. A dear friend of mine died this morning. Brother Al Roos pastored the New Beginnings Baptist Church in Crescent, Illinois. Who would pray for his family. Had brain cancer and died he wanted to preach again real bad didn't get to and uh, being as old as I am again it's not as old as a lot of folk but it's okay I'm, I'm where I'm at and that's where God's got me uh, a three or four point outline doesn't seem to do much good anymore my prayer is that I can give something that reach back there and touch your heart and your soul where you live. If we leave the same way we come in, it's been sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It's not that it's going to be something great tonight. It's, it, you know, it is what God makes it to be. If man puts his hand to it, he's going to mess it up. But I just want to mind the Lord tonight. I want to preach something maybe kind of help you, if I can. If I don't help, Fold it up, stick it in your back pocket. You might need it down the road. Genesis 44 this evening. Genesis 44. Thank you, Brother Prophet, for opening up your pulpit to me this evening. I do not take that lightly. You can preach for Brother Dan Lamb in Hillsboro. Oh, okay. And I see some of you standing, if you'd like to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Again in Genesis 44 going to deal with a fellow by the name of Joseph a little bit tonight. And uh, if you look at typology and shadows, you'll certainly see the Lord reflected in the way that Joseph handles some situations in his life. He's not a perfect example. There's no one perfect but the Lord. But boy, he's a lot closer than I've ever got. And so we're breaking in kind of in the middle of a story in verse number 1 of chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. That he is talking about is Joseph's servant. As soon as the morning was light, in verse 3, the women were sent away, they and their asses. When they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, 
Follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth, ye have done evil in so doing? And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then shall we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever thou of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye should be blameless. And they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. He searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. Father, thankful tonight for your goodness and guidance in our lives. Lord, even when we think we've got away with something in our life and we've covered it up, there's going to come a time it's going to be brought forth. Lord, I pray that we would seek in our lives to live for you in such a way that we can magnify you in our lives. Lord, this world's needing something, and, and Lord, the election's not going to solve the problem. We know that, but you can. So, Father, help us tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Joseph is not well appreciated by his brothers. He's the next to the youngest. There's ten older than him and then him and Benjamin. And uh, Joseph dreams some dreams. There's a lot of dreams in this story, so just hang on. Dreams a dream that the, he's binding sheaves in the field and his brother's sheaves bow down to him and he tells the dream and they basically say, that's just never going to happen, you little punk. I added that part there. That's not in you know, you know. Well, he dreams another dream, and the sun and moon and the stars bow down to him, and he tells them that, and they don't believe that either. These dreams are not the result of eating sauerkraut before he goes to bed or pizza. This is God putting these thoughts in his heart. Dad sends him out to check on the boys, and they see him coming across the the desert or the pasture or wherever that's coming across, he's got that coat of many colors on. You know, he shines pretty far away. One of them said, Behold, the dreamer cometh. And they make it up between themselves. They're going to kill him. And then said, Well, then the dreams will be, there'll be no more if we just kill him. But being Baptists, you know, they can't make any money out of that. Boy, y'all are really picking them up tonight. I can tell, yeah. They decide they're going to sell him into slavery. And so they sell him some Ishmaelites or Midianites come through the land and they sell Joseph out to be a slave. I, I'd hate to be a slave. A guy named Potiphar comes by and bids on him and wins the bid and buys Joseph and takes him back and puts him in his house and there he is, uh, the, a landowner and a, 
and a merchantman and a, and a man of means and a man of, of reputation. Now he's a servant in the house of an Egyptian. I'd hate to be a servant. But if I had to be a servant, I'd, I'd kind of like to be the head servant. The Bible said that the Lord was with Joseph. And Potiphar put all that he had in Joseph's hand. The Bible put it this way. He knew not aught that he had to eat but the bread at his table. And God blessed Joseph. Even in a place of bondage, God blessed him. Potiphar has a wicked, wicked wife. The Bible said she cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, if you're too young to know what that means, I'm not going to tell you. And if you're old enough, I don't have to. So that's the end of that. Amen. Don't you like the way the Bible puts stuff that don't hurt people? I really do. She doesn't just say it once, but she says it repeatedly. And one day there's nobody in the house but Joseph and this woman. And she says again, lie with me. And he said, I'd be sinning against God if I did that. And she grabbed him by his coat. And I'm going to use a southern term here. He shucked out that thing and fled out of the house. That's the second time he's lost his coat, but he kept his character, which is more important. If you lose a job keeping your character, God's going to bless you anyhow. She lays the coat aside, and when Potiphar comes home, she cries rape against the young man Joseph, and Potiphar has him thrown in the prison house. The prison house. I'd hate to be a servant slave, but I'd hate even worse to be a prisoner. But if I had to be a prisoner, I'd kind of like to be the head prisoner. <laughs> the Bible said the keeper of the prisons put all that he had in Joseph's hand. No matter where you go, if you honor God, he'll honor you. And so now it's Joseph toting the keys around, telling that crowd, wash them floors and wash them, make them beds and all that kind of stuff. Well, time passes and Pharaoh has an eruption with a couple of his servants. And he has the chief butler and the chief baker thrown into prison. And Joseph's come by one day and they're looking pretty sad. And he said, what's the problem, fellas? They said, well, we've dreamed a dream and we don't know what it means. He said, I serve the God that's the interpreter and giver of dreams. Well, the butler said, I dreamed I had Pharaoh's cup in my hand and I pressed the grapes into it. I gave him the drink. He said, in three days, he's going to lift up your head. He's going to restore you to your butlership again. And so when you get it back up the big house, I want you to tell him there's a young Hebrew boy down here that's framed. The baker sees it's good news. He said, let me tell you my dream. I dreamed I had three baskets of meats on my head and the birds came in and out of the top one. And Joseph said, it's not good news for you. In three days, he's going to lift up your head and he's going to hang you. And in three days, Pharaoh celebrated his birthday and he hung the baker and he restored the butler to his butlership. But the Bible put it this way, the butler forgot Joseph. How come we go sometimes years before God intervenes in our life? I can't answer that. When I was about eight or nine years old, there came a word into my vocabulary that I grew to hate. I grew to despise this word. And the word was because. Dad, can we stop after church tonight and get an ice cream on the way home? No. How come? Because. 
That right there ended the conversation. I don't know how your dad was, but that was all of it. Amen. You might as well sit back in the seat and do something else. That word because means this. I'm daddy and you're not. And I know why we're not going to stop and get ice cream, but I'm not obligated to tell you. Sometimes I go to God and say, how come? And he says, because. Because I'm God and you're not. And I know why, but I don't have to tell you. You've got to trust me. And so now Joseph in the prison and the butlers forgot him and time goes by. We don't know exactly how much, evidently a couple of years. And then Pharaoh dreams a dream. There's a lot of dreams. I told you all just hang on. And he dreams a dream, you know, that he's asleep and, and the seven ears of corn come up and, and, and good uh, full ears of corn, then seven uh, uh, really bad ears of corn come up and they eat the seven ears of good corn and they don't gain any weight. My kind of day. He wakes up, and I might have these backward, but you know what I'm talking about. The seven fat cows, uh, I'm from Texas, so you know it. I love dead cow. The seven fat cows come up and the seven skinny cows come up and the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows and they don't gain any weight. That's the beginning of Atkins' diet right there. That's the keto thing. You thought that was new, but it's not. Pharaoh wakes up and he don't know what it means and he calls all the prognosticators and he calls all the diviners and he calls all the soothsayers and he calls the 1-800-Psychic hotline and he, he calls Gene Dixon. Some of y'all are old enough to remember yeah what I thought and none of those guys have the answer but the butler's standing here with a cup to give Pharaoh he said sir I remember my faults there's a young Hebrew boy down there in the prison he knows his business Pharaoh said get him up here and the Bible said that he shaved himself and changed his clothes and stood before Pharaoh and he interprets the correctly the Dream seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and the seven years of famine is going to be so bad nobody's going to remember the good times because of the evil times. Pharaoh said, I don't know what to do. And Joseph said, what you need is a secretary of agriculture. It's my turn tonight, so just cut me a little slack. Amen. I was real nervous when I got here. Real nervous when I got here. You need someone in charge of the land to lay aside during the seven good years so when the famine comes, there'll be something neat. And Pharaoh looked around at all those guys that didn't have any answers for him and said, you're number two in the land and you're in charge. And for seven years, the Bible said the land brought forth by handfuls until Joseph lost the ability to count. And don't think they didn't have the ability to count. They did. It isn't long when the seven years of plenty are gone that the famine comes into the land. Not only is the famine in Egypt, it's also in a place called Canaan. And one day Jacob looks at the boys and he says, I hear there's corn in Egypt and I want you to go get corn. Now how hard is that to do? It's hard. I get to the Walmart and I got to call Jeannie back on the phone. Do you want white or yellow? You want canned or fresh? You want whole kernel or cream? You got to tell me what kind of corn you want. Go get corn. And so they leave little brother Benjamin behind 
And ten of them load up and go to Egypt. And when it comes their time to stand before the man, they bow down on their face just like the dream said they would. And the Bible said Joseph knows them, but they don't know who he is. I think you're spies. That's who I think you are. Come to spy the neck of this land. No, we're all one. We're all one man's son. One's at home, one's at not. Uh, and we've come to buy corn. He said, I think you're a bunch of spies. And I'm going to have one of you locked up. And, and he's in their side ahead, Simeon locked away. He said, you won't see my face again unless you bring that little brother. See, he and, he and Benjamin were full brothers through Rachel. And they load up their camels or they load up their asses in this case and they go home and for a while they got corn. They got corn. They got plenty to eat. They got what they went to get. But it isn't long till the corn runs out. And Jacob said, you got to go back and get more corn. Reuben said, sir, the man said if we didn't bring Benjamin... He wouldn't even see our face. He said, you're going to bring my gray hairs down to the grave in sorrow. He said, Simeon's not and, and Joseph is not and Benjamin will die by the way. And I want to tell you something, none of those were true. We are pessimists a lot of times, amen. Maybe without even knowing it, we are. And one of them, I think it's Levi, he makes the surest bet that's ever been made. Dad, you put Benjamin on my hand, and I'll put my sons in your hand, and if I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my boys. Remember, they're your grandkids. Now, is that a good bet or not? Huh? Putting the grandkids up as collateral, amen. That's pretty good. That's, pretty, that's shading your, well, never mind. I heard that somebody say that. I don't even know what that means. Benjamin loads up and they go and they stand before Joseph again. He brings them the house and he feeds them good. And he loads their sacks with as much corn as they can carry. And he tells the servant, put the cup in the youngest one's sack and he sends them on their way. I guess I can see them going across the desert the next morning. Oh, it's a good time. Got Simeon back. Didn't lose Benjamin. Sacks full of corn. Zippity doo dah. Zippity yay. Joseph said to his servant, about the time they get to the first rest area, I want you to go out and accuse him of stealing my cup. The servant does what Joseph tells him to. Hey, fellas, wait a minute. Don't, don't go any further. Just pull over the side road here. One of you stole the cup from my master's house. Why? We're landowners. We brought back the money that was put in there wrongly the first time. Why would we steal some ashtray, some trinket out of your mouth? Why would we do something like that? Well, he said, it's missing. We think you've got it. Reuben said, I'll tell you what, sir, you can look through the sacks you find it, you can kill him. The rest of us will be your servant. The servant said, let me do this. Let me look through the sacks. If I find it, he'll be my servant. And you're welcome to go on home. And so we come to where we've left off this evening. The men set their sacks on the ground. I want to magnify five thoughts about that cup. It won't take me very long. Give me five thoughts about that cup. 
Have you ever opened the sack of your life expecting to find corn and find something you didn't want to find? Has that a word cancer ever come up in your life? Has that word tumor ever come along? Somebody you love. You're going through life and it's beautiful and things are going the way you want and you're loaded down with everything and all of a sudden something comes along you don't expect. Five things about the cup. Will you, will you indulge me? Number one, I want you to see the significance of the cup. The significance of the cup. Joseph put it this way, it's the cup that I drink out of and that I divine by. Now don't start thinking Ouija boards and black magic. Please don't think that. He's not into that. Amen? Amen, Brother Harold. Can we put this screen down and get some aid? No, no, no. The cup that I drink out of, the one that I have in my hand, the one that I hold, the one that I have with me when I'm doing my devotions. The one that I have with me when I'm thinking about what God's wanting to do in my life. The one that I have in my hand when I'm having my prayer time. He said the one that I drink out of. And then he said it's the one that I divine by. I look and when I'm looking in this cup, it's not that God writes it out in tea leaves. It's that he just impresses my heart with what he wants me to have. I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to coffee. Nothing wrong with that. We, we got a big old bus that's parked over at uh, Brother Robbie Gilbert's church over at Temple Baptist. 45 foot, 22 foot trailer on the back of it. It's huge. When we got that thing, the first thing I moved in was my coffee pot. Took it in, Brother Prophet. My Keurig. Before we bought the coach, I, want, I measured to make sure it'd sit on the cabinet. I mean, that could have been a deal breaker if the Keurig didn't go on it. Am I, am I right? I am foolish about my coffee. I only get four cups a day. I've limited myself to that. I, I got to have the right cup. It, it's got to be white on the inside. You drink coffee in Romania or Budapest or Vietnam or... Manila, Philippines, and then when you get to the bottom, there's something else in that cup that's not supposed to be in. I just soon start with a white cup. I know that sucker's clean. It's got to be shaped right. I'm 65. I can't help it. Amen. I'm, I'm not breaking this habit now. And so, and so I, I've got that cup. Before we got our bus, we lived in motels for what, 19 years and, and uh, prophets' chambers and everything like that. And boy, I get in a motel and, and I get up early. I just, that's what God put on me. And I get up early and I make my little pot of coffee and I get my Bible. If you turn the light on the motel, it wakes my wife up. You know, it's just bright. And, and so I got me one of those little headlights. You know, and I get my little headlight on and I get over there and make my little cup of coffee and I get over there and chair and, and for the first hour of the day, it's me and the Lord and the coffee. Amen. Nothing spiritual about the coffee. No. 
It's the significance is that that's where I meet with God. Went to Romania and couldn't take a coffee pot over there. Everything over there is 220 electricity. Everything in Europe is. So, got these uh, Folger coffee singles. You're seeing those like a tea bag. It's not bad. The, uh, the advertisement on it is incredible. The, the instructions are incredible. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. It says, if you want it stronger, dunk it longer. <laughs> that is marketing magnus, ma- magic right there. Amen. If you want, boy. We got back from a gypsy village one night. About 2 o'clock in the morning, we was freezing to death. I wanted coffee, and they'd shut all the water off in the motel. There wasn't any water. That's, that's communism for you. You're welcome. So I tucked that coffee thing down between my cheek and gum. Had a little string hanging out. I told you I was addicted, didn't I? I get coffee, I want to pray. When I get coffee, I want to get my Bible. It reminds me of being with the Lord. The significance of the cup. Notice the second thought this evening, the silver of the cup. He said, take my cup, the silver cup, put it in the youngest sacks, the mouth of the youngest and his corn money. Silver speaks to us certainly of purity. Hey, listen to me. If there's ever a fellow in the Bible that had ever right to be bitter, it's Joseph. Amen. If there's ever a fellow right in the Bible that had a right to be envious and angry and have a I'll get you, I'll get even with you one of these days spirit, it is Joseph. How many birthdays he missed? How many home cooked meals he missed? Because his sorry brothers were so prideful and so arrogant that they wouldn't even let God speak to them through their little brother. And yet when he has a chance to get even with them, he don't. The silver of the cup. When it's his chance, his opportunity, he's number two in the kingdom. When he says, heads roll, heads roll, amen. And he says to them, I'm going to fill your sacks with corn. I'm going to send you home so your kids can have something to eat. Aren't you glad that God treats us better than we treat each other? Lord's given me a message. I preached it a couple of times already. I call it sitting at the table with your Judas. I'm going to tell you that God's given me the chance to sit at my table, not at an eating table, but you know what I'm saying. Be in circumstances, be in surroundings with my Judas. And preacher, I failed God every time he gave me the chance. I failed him miserably. I, I think what I've got is brass in my life and it's tarnished. It's tarnished most of all by pride. Proverbs said only by pride come a contention. You know why Joseph didn't want to get even? Because he didn't have that pride swelling up in his heart and life. 
You know why the Lord don't look to get in with us? He don't have any pride. Amen. Are you listening to me? The silver, the cup. Boy, we treat each other. Oh, sometimes we treat each other so bad. We used to get on the phone and gossip about each other. Now we get on that face thing. Amen. What is it? Face, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Amen. Amen. I just leave that right there. Amen. We just, you know, run each other down, and 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 then we get to feeling high and mighty because they're in sin and we're not. So we quote the Baptist verse. We got a Baptist verse. Y'all want to hear the Baptist verse? Here's the Baptist verse. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, stone the sucker. (laughs) Don't nod your head up and down. That's not what that says. (laughs) Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, treat them the way you want to be treated yourself. The significance of the cup, the silver, the cup. Number three, the search for the cup. What what did the servant say? He's not named. If if the Lord, if, if Joseph is a type, a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can certainly point to the servant as being a type of the Holy Spirit in our life. Unnamed and obedient he says this let me look through the sacks and if I find the cup the one that I find in he'll be my servant and you can go on back to your house and the Bible said he began at the eldest that's Reuben and leaves off at the youngest and he finds the cup in Benjamin's sack I, I can almost use my imagination and seeing Reuben set his sack on the ground it wasn't a burlap bag or a Gunny sack, they probably didn't have that. It's probably made out of leather. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. He sets it on the ground, unties the top, and the servant goes and runs his hand through the corn. When he pulls it up in the sunlight that day, nothing but corn dust seen sprinkling through the air. He goes the next one and opens his sack, runs his hand down through the corn, and lifts it up, and it's nothing. And he goes from sack to sack, to sack until he comes to Benjamin's sack. Benjamin sets his sack on the ground and unties the top. The servant puts his hand down through there. When he brings the corn up and the corn dust floats up in the sky, something bright and shiny comes up in his hand and it's the cup. The cup. Gotta believe with all my heart that the boys said, Ben, what have you done? And Ben probably answered back, fellas, I didn't do it. And he didn't. He is innocent. He had not taken the cup. He had not put it in his sack. He had not hid it away. Amen. The servant had put it there at the master's instruction. Well, tell us about the search for the cup, Brother Harold. Are you ready? The servant knows where it is all the time. He knew it wasn't in Reuben's. He knew it wasn't in Levi's. He knew it wasn't in Dan's. He knew it wasn't in Naphtali. He knew exactly where it was. 
Why did he look through all those sacks when he knew where it was? I believe it's because he wanted them to yield to his search. In Matthew, I believe it's 24, the Lord has the disciples in the upper room. You remember the story? While they're there, he makes a startling announcement. One of you will betray me. Twelve disciples or eleven are innocent. One's guilty. What'd they do? They begin every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? So what's the Holy Spirit wanting to do tonight in this service? He wants me and every person here to open up their life. Say, here am I. Search me. Well, I don't think it's me. Doesn't matter. You yield to him anyhow. If you're innocent, man, it's good times. It's fellowship. And maybe it's something you forgot. Aren't we having a good time tonight? The search for the cup. Search me. Oh God, and know my heart today. Try me, oh Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me. That's what the Lord wants to do to every person here tonight is look in our hearts and see if there's something there. Benjamin did not know it was there. He didn't put it there. So Brother Harold, if I open it up, open my life up to the Lord and he points something out, is it sin? May not be. It may not be, but it might. Daniel in chapter number 6 of Daniel, you don't have to turn there. He's probably around 90 years old. And he's thrown into the den of lions. Could God have stopped that? He's God. At 90, I don't think he had one more thing to prove to God. I don't think he had anything else to prove to God with his life. Why did God let him be put there? Listen to me. It may have been to show an ungodly king. You make all the rules you want, but you're not running the show. Brother Harold, why do I find the cup in my sack? It may not be because of you. It may be to show your children and grandchildren this is how a child of God comes through adversity in their life. It don't have to be sin. It can be God doing something to turn you around. Because that's what he did with all these boys. They were going to Canaan. And he turned them around. The significance of the cup. The silver of the cup. The search for the cup. Number four. The sorrow of the cup. When that cup come up in that servant's hand out of Benjamin's sack. There had to have been a look of incredulity upon the rest of the boys. Oh my goodness. What have we got ourselves into? 
I mean, I, I just think that's probably the way it was. And it would have been a really easy time for the rest of the boys to say, well, Ben, it's been good knowing you. You take care of yourself now. Eat well. But that's not what they did. The Bible said they all rent their clothes and they all laded their ass and they went back to face the music with little brother. Because that's what a family does. That's what a family, that's what a church does. Bible puts it this way. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, when one is honored, we'll all rejoice with it. When one is hurting, I'm not quoting that correctly, but when one is hurting, we all suffer with it. You understand what I'm saying? When one has a little two-year-old that falls in a swimming pool and drowns, all the men got on their knees tonight and prayed for that family. Probably don't know the little girl, may not know the family, but my heart was broken for a family that has a two-year-old dead. That's what a family does. And it's easy to let little things keep us from loving each other. We pulled in about 25 minutes early tonight and, and uh, brother, we followed Brother Robbie Gilbert and his dear family and he was very gentlemanly and went parked way back there and left the first one open. I told Jeannie, I said, I'm parking here. She said, what if it's somebody's spot? I said, I'm parking here. Parked in my spot. He's sitting in my chair. You want to get a you want to get a church split going? Have a big pitch in meal. Well, we have one today. It's homecoming over at Temple. Fried chicken and ham and and tater, uh, some kind of tater cheese thing going on there. And green beans and coleslaw and chicken and I mean the whole spread. Not have quite enough room for every lady's bowl of green beans. So just to make room, take one lady's bowl and rake it over in another lady's bowl of green beans. You now have a church split in the making <laughs> over green beans. Don't you bow your head. You look up here. Praying time is in a little bit. Rake my green beans with her. She put sugar in hers. I hate her green beans. Aren't we having a good time? The sorrow to the cup. The sorrow to the cup. And one hurts. You see this hand right here? There have been times in the past where I've taken a hammer with this hand right here and hit this hand's thumb. Am I the only one? Oh, I didn't think so. I said, yeah. I said, huh? Huh? When I hit this hand's thumb with this hammer, 
This hand says, boy, that hurt. Give me that hammer. Now put your thumb down there and hold it still. I'm going to show you what hurting's all about. It's never done that. Every time this hand has hurt this hand's thumb, it has thrown the hammer aside and rushed over there to give aid and assistance to this hand. I'm sorry. Someone gets a little out of, well, we can't run to jump on them and hurt them more. And that's not the way it ought to be. They all laded their ass and they all went back to town. The significance of the cup, the silver of the cup, the search for the cup, the sorrow of the cup. One more, the secret of the cup. Why did Joseph have the cup put in Benjamin's sack. Must go back to the beginning just a little bit, not quite the beginning, but remember what the boys wanted? Corn. And what did they get? Corn. And what did they do when they got the corn? They went home. And they didn't come back until they wanted more corn. So the first time he has Simeon locked away to bring them back. Can't do that again. So this time he puts the cup in the sack to bring them back. See the boys wanted corn and they got everything that they wanted. But what did Joseph want? He wanted a relationship with his family. He wanted fellowship. That's what he wanted. He wanted his family. And we go to God. And I love that verse. He daily loadeth us with benefits. And we serve a God that loves us. Look, I've lost 14 weeks this year to the election infection. 14 revivals canceled. And I thought, how in the world can God take care of us? We've got ministries in Vietnam and ministries in the Philippines and the ministries here. How in the world can God? I'm such a great preacher that I have to stand and preach for people to give money to my foundation. So we, and you know what? God didn't need me at all. He took care of everything without me getting up to preach. Don't that make you feel like a big shot? When I was a little boy, right before I learned that because thing, I needed tennis shoes. I can't remember, eight or nine years old, it doesn't matter. I needed, but I wanted those high top canvas converse. That's what I wanted. They cost more than other tennis shoes, but that's what I wanted. And mom and dad were pastoring a little church. My dad wasn't struggling with finances and I didn't know eight year nine year old boys don't know they just know what I want and they talked a long time and come to find out they found the money and they got me the shoes and I went to dad with great appreciation in my heart I said thank you dad I know it costs more than the others he told me this this is a Southern term, Texas term. He said, well, boy, 
I took you to raise. Y'all know what that means? That means you're mine and I'm responsible for all of you. That's what God told me this year. I took you to raise. He's paid every bill. We've not missed a thing. Are you listening to me? God has been faithful to me. What does God want of me? He wants me to come and tell him, I need this and I need that and I need that. Then he wants me to stick around a while and say, I sure do love you. I'm sure thankful for what you've done. I feel like sometimes we treat God like a spare tire. Some of you got them and don't know where they are. Some of them are under the car. Some of them are in the trunk under something else, you know. Some are about that big around. Huh? You don't think about it much and you don't check on it every now and then, but you let one of the other ones get flat. We rush back there and push the hunting stuff aside and the golfing stuff aside and whatever women do aside. I don't know. Probably don't want to know. And we get that tire out, and for that moment, it's the most precious, most important thing in our life. And we put it on, and we go straight to where we can get the other one fixed or get another one. And then back in the trunk it goes. We need it again. And we treat God the same way. God, you stay in the back of my life behind and under all the things that I love and want to do. Hello? But when I get in trouble, I want you to rush out and get me out of this jam. And then when I get out of the jam, you can get me back in the back of my life. You know, if we really appreciate our spare tire, once a week or so, you get out, strap it in the front seat and ride it around town. Put your arm around it. Is that air conditioning okay? You like that, like, is that music okay? Pull up a red light. Hey, buddy. Check it out. That's right. Huh? We go to God and say, give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that. And he loves taking care of his children. He took us to raise. I believe he also wants us to sit at his feet sometime and say, I just want to tell you how much I love you. You've been so faithful to me. You've been so good to me. How many of you got up this morning and wondered, oh, I wonder if the sun's coming up today? None of us thought that. We didn't even get out and look toward the south. I wonder if we'd be the south today. You know why? He's faithful. He's faithful. The secret of the cup. When they saw the cup come up out of the sack, I've got to believe that they thought this is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. I don't know whether I will see mom and the family again. don't know whether I will see dad again. But it was the best thing that ever happened to them. They got brought out of Canaan and put in the best part of Egypt, the land of the Ramses. In fact, they were given government jobs. Raising cattle for Pharaoh. You can't even get fired from a government job. 
You can't beat that, amen. Know the number two guy in the land, live in the best part of town, work a government job. In fact, they did so good that just by loving on each other, they nearly took over Egypt. That's how good they did. Are you listening to me? And the very thing you and I think is going to hurt us the worst could be the best thing that ever happened to you. You open your sack and there's something you didn't expect. It's a phone call in the middle of the night. It's something you don't want to hear. It's something that's going to make you metaphorically wring your clothes and you're going to wet your pillow with tears but it may be the very thing that God uses to bring you right where he wants you to be. 1986, Jeannie and I opened our sack and a little nine-year-old boy died in our home. Our oldest, Brian Wayne Noble. We were young and had a seven-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy and now our oldest one's dead. And we've grieved and we hurt. And I really thought, I just don't think it can get any worse than this. And I said, God, why? And he said, because. Because I've got something in mind for you. From his death sprang the Brian Noble Children's Foundation and God has blessed around the world in missions. But what I'm saying is that the very thing that you think is going to hurt you the worst, if it's from God, it's going to be the best thing you ever had in your life. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a few moments this evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If our musicians will make their way to have a verse or two of invitation. Father, how we love you tonight. Father, we don't always understand everything that you're doing and I don't have to understand it sometimes I want to and you know my heart Father I'm learning more and more to trust you as what you do would you speak to some heart some soul tonight would you reach down and burden someone about just staying at the master's feet for a few minutes in Jesus' precious name, amen. Will you stand with us?